0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Tiferet Talk. I'm Melissa Stutterd, and this is the Blog Talk Radio show for Tiferet, a journal of spiritual literature, where we publish writings and engage in dialogue to promote peace in the individual and in the world. We're thrilled that you're with us right now, and we would love for you to also join our global online community. You can find it at www.fairitjournal.com. There, in addition to interacting with other members, reading their writings, and posting your own, you can subscribe to the journal, which in each issue presents beautiful, spiritually and intellectually compelling poetry, prose, and art. This evening's guest is neuropsychologist and author Rick Hansen. Tonight, we'll be discussing, among other things, Hansen's most recent book, the New York Times bestseller, Hardwiring Happiness, The New Brain Science of Contentment, Calm, and Confidence. Hansen is the author of the other books, Buddha's Brain, Just One Thing, Another Nurture, and his articles have appeared in Tricycle Magazine, Insight Journal, and Inquiring Mind. He has several audio programs with Sounds True. He edits the Wise Brain Bulletin, and his weekly e-newsletter, Just One Thing, has over 94,000 subscribers and also appears on Huffington Post, Psychology Today, it to and other major websites. His work has been featured at the BBC, NPR, CBC, O Magazine, and many other wonderful places, as well. Hansen is an authority on self-directed neuroplasticity, founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom, and an affiliate of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. He's given talks at Oxford, Stanford, and Harvard, and taught in meditation centers worldwide. Of Hardwiring Happiness, Thich Nhat Hanh states, the cultivation of happiness is one of the most important skills anyone can ever learn. Luckily, it's not hard when we know the way to water and nourish these wholesome seeds which are already there in our consciousness. This book offers simple, accessible, practical steps for touching the peace and joy that are every person's birthright. Hello, Rick. Are you there?
1: Definitely, Melissa. Thank you very much for that extremely kind introduction.
0: Oh, you're most welcome. It's all true. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here tonight, and uh, I want to congratulate you. Last time I looked, your book was number eleven on the New York Times bestsellers list.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was great. It still is. So, uh, yeah, I hope we can talk about it. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, and and I'm glad it'll reach more readers that way too. So, um, well, why don't you start by uh, explaining to our listeners what positive neuroplasticity is and what it means to hardwire happiness or permanently install positive brain states.
1: Sure. All right. Yeah. Well, the basic idea is simply that the brain is constantly changing its structure for better or worse. And those changes really affect how we feel moment to moment and how we function and how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people. So the question then becomes, how do you help your brain change for the better when Unfortunately, because of its Stone Age negativity bias, it's really good at changing for the worse. In other words, as I put it, we've got a brain that's like Velcro for bad experiences, but Teflon for good ones, even though good experiences, when they get installed in your brain, are the fundamental basis for the inner strengths like happiness and resilience and loving kindness that we all want to develop. So the basic idea of my book is to use the practical Research on the neuropsychology of learning in really down to earth ways, a dozen seconds at a time, to turn everyday positive experiences, simple mild ones like finishing a load of laundry or feeling a sense of warmth and connection with somebody else or appreciating, you know, the beauty of a flower or the taste of an orange, and then savor that experience. Stay with it. Stay with it long enough so that you can gradually begin to weave it into yourself. So this passing mental state can become, as you put it, encoded as a neural trait. That's it in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. And, of course, that raises like a thousand questions for me, so I'm glad.
1: Sure, go for Um,
0: it. Yeah, and this is just such rich material. Thank you. Um, Just to begin with, um, you, you said something at the very beginning about how we're actually wired to... the bad experiences more than the positive. And I wondered if you could say a little bit more about that.
1: Right. Um, As our ancestors evolved in really harsh conditions, in effect, they could make two kinds of mistakes. One mistake was to think that there was a tiger in the bushes about to pounce, and the other mistake, but in fact, there was no tiger at all. And, And the other mistake was to think that the coast was clear, but in fact, something was really in the bushes about to get them. Okay. What's the cost of the first mistake? Needless anxiety. What's the cost of the second mistake? No more mistakes forever, right? So Mother Nature Mm -hmm. wants us to make the first mistake. She wants us to think that we're threatened or frustrated or left out so that we will do whatever it takes to pass on genes that pass on genes. Okay. That's why we have the brain's negativity bias, and it shows them in all kinds of ways. Imagine, you know, a typical relationship, 10 things happen in a day, five are positive, four are neutral, one's negative. What's the one you think about? Or <laughs> right. research shows that, yeah, that good long-term relationships need at least a five-to-one ratio of positive to negative interactions. That's a cautionary tale. Um, or think about how the brain lights up a lot more to pain than it does to pleasure. So... These are all good ways to keep um, animals or humans alive in really harsh conditions. But under normal conditions, this negativity bias of the brain makes us unnecessarily stressed, focusing on negative things. And in particular, it makes it harder to grow emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually because it makes it harder to turn everyday positive moments into some kind of lasting structure inside. It's very humbling, and I say this as a long-term psychotherapist, it's very humbling to appreciate how many um, positive moments we have are totally wasted on the brain. They make no lasting value. There's no structure that's built. There's no learning. They're better than a stick in the eye in the moment. But they don't change anything. And so what my book's about is using everyday experiences to actually change yourself for the better. Building up inner strength, building up the sense of being loved and cared about by others, building up, you know, spiritual insights and developments, building up loving kindness for other people, and so forth.
0: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, And your book offers so many practical examples and steps on how to go about that. I wanted to see if you could walk us through some of that, just to give an example, for instance, of, um, you know, well, probably on both sides, if if something good happened, um, how we would process that in a way that would make that into um, a permanent state. And, and you did make a distinction between traits and states. So maybe yeah. talk about that a little bit too. And then also on the flip side, if somebody has a negative experience, what would be a good way to process that?
1: Okay. So let's take that in two steps. Um, the first step is to think about the fancy language of states and traits. All it really means is that um, moment to moment, if we're having a thought or a feeling or a, or a body sensation, say, that's a state. It's a passing mental, all right? If we have a more enduring quality inside us, such as on the one hand, depressed mood, or on the other hand, a basic sense of optimism and, and unconditional well-being and inner, inner peace, well, those are traits. Those are more enduring qualities of mind and heart. What do we want to have inside us? We want to have more positive traits. How do we grow positive traits? We grow positive traits in a two-step process that activates positive states and then installs that positive state into the brain 5, 10, 20, 30 seconds at a time. That's the basic idea. So then the question becomes, you know, how to actually do that. Let me give you a little example. Let's suppose that you're going through your day, and something happens with somebody where you you feel cared about in some way. And when I say cared about, I mean there could be a sense of simply belonging or being included, like with a group of people who say, hey, let's go get some lunch, you know, together at work, Mm -hmm. Uh, or there could be a sense of being seen or understood, or maybe someone's just trying to understand you, even if they don't even if they do perfectly get you. Or maybe somebody appreciates you. They have a sense of gratitude for your contribution to them, or they respect you in some way, or they're thankful um, to you. Or perhaps there's a sense of being liked by somebody, or even loved. Any one of those is a sense of feeling cared about. So let's suppose something has happened. That gives you the legitimate opportunity to feel cared about number one notice the good fact right instead of missing it because most of us miss the, many of the good facts in our life every day second when you notice that good fact that the other person or group of people has in fact been caring help yourself have a good experience of feeling cared about and then critically important in the third step and this is where I really get into the details the practical details in my book in the third step help that momentary state of feeling cared about that momentary experience help that experience sink into you so you can take you with it so you so you can take it with you wherever you go and the way to do that essentially is to draw on one or more of the well-known factors that promote emotional learning such as duration helping the experience last so it really sinks in or intensity helping the feelings of being cared about really grow inside you so they're they're large and they fill your mind for 10 or 20 seconds in a row that's all I'm talking about here mm. or help the experience ha- draw upon what's called multimodality. in other words fee- try to feel the experience in your body as much as you can open in your heart to a sense of being cared about you know let the experience be rich be luscious it's very private Nobody needs to know you're doing this, but this practice of taking in the good that I write about brings you into an intimacy with yourself. So in terms of your experience, it feels intimate and kind and luscious and sweet and real. It feels very authentic and real. And in your brain, by having this experience, since in the famous saying, neurons that fire together wire together, you're going to be weaving this experience into the fabric of your brain and therefore your life. So that's the basic idea. And if you want to, you can use this this method to heal old pain. Maybe you've had experiences or a sense in your life of feeling not so cared about. Maybe you've been left out or betrayed or abandoned growing up or you've been, you know, recently voted off the island or, or devalued <laughs> or dismissed in some way, right? Uh, the, even the, just that ordinary stuff, of daily life, like a teenager being all snarky or a partner being, you know, oddly cold or distant or preoccupied. Well, mm-hmm. what you can do then is <clears throat> pair it's a, or link, rather which is the fourth step of the four steps of the process I teach, um, using the acronym HEAL, H-E-A-L, for have, enrich, absorb, and then optionally, link, you can link the positive experience in my example here of feeling cared about to material in your mind of not feeling cared about. In other words, you're simply aware of two things at once. The positive experience of feeling cared about in one way or another prominent in the foreground of awareness, rich, luscious, lush experience, and off to the wings of awareness. You might have some sense in the background of feeling let down by other people or not included, not wanted. And since neurons that fire together wire together, by being aware of both of those things in the field of consciousness at the same time, you will gradually associate the positive to the negative so that the positive experience of feeling cared about will gradually soothe, ease, and eventually even replace that old negative material.
0: Wow, that's really nice. And so um, that, that would be something with old negative material, and I'm assuming that that could also work when new negative experiences come up. You could also wire that to something positive?
1: Yes. And to do that, uh, if I could, I'll talk about what I think are the, just the three ways to um, engage the mind. And I think there are just mm-hmm. three ways to practice. The first way is to just be with it. We simply feel the feelings, experience the experience, and we let it be. We um, don't try to change anything about it. We might kind of unpack the experience. We might step back from it to witness it. We might disidentify from it so that it's as if... You know, we've pulled ourselves out of the movie and now we're 20 rows back looking at what's happening up on the screen, shaking our head in dismay,
0: you know, (laughs) the reactions
1: we're having. Maybe we sense down into the softer, more vulnerable, perhaps younger, more fundamental layers in the experience. But in the moment, we're not trying to change it. Okay. That's the most fundamental way to engage the mind. It's deeply useful. That said, it's not the only way to engage the mind. There's also a place for releasing what's negative and third growing with positive in effect if your mind were like a garden the three options let you witness it or pull weeds plant flowers what I'm talking about is planting flowers and growing them and protecting them in your mind because because of the negativity bias the garden if you will the brain is very fertile for weeds but it's kind of like stony ground for flowers so we really have to help those flowers take root In the garden of our own mind so if you're having a negative experience to your question specifically you want to start in the first way of engaging the mind explore it feel it sense what it is you know let it be all right good and then in the second step try to release it let it flow um, relax your body uh, challenge negative thoughts perhaps cry Vent, you know, in safe and wholesome ways. Uh Do what you need to do to let it go. And then third, when it feels appropriate, it's very powerful to let in some kind of positive experience that's an antidote to, a natural antidote to the negative experience you've had. For example, you know, as I just spoke about a moment ago, if the negative experience is feeling let down or excluded, you know, dumped mistreated not seen what have you in other words not cared about in some way the natural antidote for that kind of experience would be one way or another to feel cared about perhaps by other people it could be a pet could be the divine could be a guardian angel maybe bringing up a memory of other times when you actually haven't cared about and so by opening to that kind of positive experience those are in effect targeted antidotes to the negative experience that you've been grappling with right there. I work that cycle routinely with myself and with my clients or others where you start with the negative experience and then at some point try to let it go and then at some point in the space that's um, been cleared away by what you've released, replace what you've released with the positive alternative. Mm
0: -hmm. Great. And I think in the book you have a very clear sort of um, mini chart on what the antidotes are exactly, mm. which is really not a simple thought. <laughs> um, I have a question now. Uh, in your section about handling blocks, you offer some good advice, again, for taking in the good. And some of it is gender specific. And I was wondering if you could talk about how you came to recognize that some of the blocks For the good are different for men and women based on their socialization, and if you think that genders can be models for each other, for taking in the good.
1: Well, that's very interesting. um, Yes, one of the things that I've found is that this is a deceptively simple practice that is, Mm -hmm. A, harder than it sounds in the sense that, how can I put it, You have to be motivated to do it. So it's not really hard. It's really enjoyable. You're simply staying with, you're being mindful of, uh, for 10 seconds, maybe 20 or 30 seconds, an authentic, positive experience. They're usually mild. You know, on the 0 to 10 intensity scale, they're like 2s and 3s or even 1s, but they're real. But what's really interesting, Melissa, is how hard it is for many people to actually let themselves have this kind of experience. They don't feel they deserve it you know, say, or maybe they're just always kind of getting on to the next thing and they never really show up for their own life long enough to let their positive experiences sink in. I think stepping back from Western culture, especially American culture, it's really ironic that in the richest nation on Earth uh, altogether, uh, we at the same time um, as a people are notorious for always running about chasing some new reward, right? And I suspect that that's partly due to the fact that the rewards that we're, we're getting, we're not taking in. We're actually not savoring them. We don't let them land. And so they're momentarily pleasant, but they don't sink into the brain. That's why I think it's important for anyone, you know, such as women, for example, to realize that you deserve your positive experiences. You've earned them. And even if you've, you know, been raised to try to take care of other people and make sure that they have a positive experience, right, rather than making sure that you have a positive experience, nonetheless, by filling up your own cup, you um, have more and more inside you to offer to other people.
0: That's nice. Yeah. Um Thank you. Um, I was also wondering. I, I know not everyone who comes to the book will necessarily be coming from generally healthy state. And what yeah. I mean by generally healthy state is that um, that maybe they're struggling a little with negativity and looking to become more positive. But Some people will actually be clinically depressed or suffering from PTSD or some other form of severe anxiety. And I'm wondering if they should approach the book and the message differently from someone who is coming from a more healthy mental or emotional state.
1: That's a very interesting question. Um, I think that actually the more that someone is in touch with their own pain in a Mm -hmm. funny way, the clearer it is what would actually help. I know for myself that, especially when I started taking the good, maybe well over 30 years ago, honestly, in my late teens and early 20s when I was in college, what motivated me to do it was my pain. And my pain, in a funny way, told me what I needed because my pain was very much about feeling lonely and devalued by other people not included not wanted having to do with kind of the great I grew up and especially my experiences with other kids in school and so knowing what i longed for listening to my heart as in, in as it told me what i really needed then i began looking for opportunities to have those kinds of experiences of feeling included by others that's where for example i think the model that i get into in heartwarming happiness of how the brain evolved in terms of metaphorically speaking the inner lizard mouse and monkey inside every one of us you know and it has to do with the brain stem limbic system and cortex or with our three fundamental needs for safety satisfaction and connection well if you know that your needs are more in the safety system around avoiding harms In other words, if you know your issues are more in the territory of anxiety or anger Mm -hmm. or having been traumatized or feeling helpless, well, then you could look for key experiences, your sort of antidote experiences, the medicine for your soul, um, experiences that naturally address issues of safety, such as experiences of relaxing or feeling protected, Or noticing that in this moment, you're actually all right right now. No tiger's about to pounce, even if the the moment is imperfect. At least fundamentally, you're basically all right right now. Or experiences of inner strength, determination, you know, the capacity to endure and get through things. Any one of those are natural antidote experiences for the issues in the uh, safety system. Or, for example, Um, if you've got issues in the satisfaction system in terms of approaching rewards, issues like frustration or disappointment or feeling like a failure or having been thwarted, you know, in your attainment of various goals, maybe by discrimination, you know, or speaking of women, sexism, okay. glass feelings, and so forth, uh, one thing you can do for yourself uh, from the inside out is to look for opportunities to experience natural antidotes to negative experiences in the satisfaction system, natural antidotes like experiences of gratitude or gladness, Or accomplishing goals or everyday pleasures and then in terms of the um, social system that we have our needs for connection managed by the uh, uh, attaching to others system in the brain uh, if we feel left out or excluded or not seen or lonely or abandoned or betrayed or not prized not not it's not appropriately appreciated well one thing we can do is look for opportunities to feel included or or respected or seen or liked or even loved Now I'm not saying that we shouldn't do what we can outside ourselves, right to, you know, put locks on our doors in terms of the safety system or look for a different kind of job or career in terms of the, you know, satisfaction system or in terms of the connection system, you know, look for somebody who actually really does appreciate us appropriately rather than, you know, the the person we're, you know, running around with, what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, But inside ourselves, what can we also do? And that's where, for me, the opportunity is really given to us that I explore in my book, which is how to actually turn everyday positive experiences into lasting inner strengths that you end up taking with you wherever you go.
0: Mm-hmm, great. And that, that's really the point, is that you're talking about not mm-hmm. just activating, you're talking about hardwiring and making these into new, a new part, a permanent part of your brain and the way your brain works.
1: That's um, right. Right.
0: Now, we've talked about how the book can help the individual, and we're kind of running out of time, so I want to make Mm -hmm. sure that we also talk about your afterword, which was really important, and you talk about Uh. how the reactive mode of brain is stressing our planet and Mm -hmm. um, transitioning people to the responsive mode is really as necessary as changing the external conditions. So, could you talk a little bit about that vision and how you think the world can be, and how this can help us get
1: there? Well, I'm very happy that you read that part of the book, which um, I put a lot of uh, heart into. Uh, well, the, um, the short, the short takeaway on a you know kind of a complex subject is to say essentially that uh, we've got these three core needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection, broadly defined loosely related to the reptile mammal and primate slash human stages of evolution and the brain basically has two ways of meeting these needs its resting state the green zone the responsive mode of the brain it's where we go when we feel that there's no deficit or disturbance our basic needs are met then there's also the reactive mode of the brain the red zone which is where we go when we feel any kind of fundamental threat to safety, satisfaction, or connection, and then in the red zone, we fire up into, um, you know, a state of mind that is involved with fear and anger in terms of the you know, safety system, frustration and disappointment in terms of the satisfaction system, and heartache and aggression in terms of the uh, connection system. Well, you can see this for individuals, you can see it in couples, and guess what? You can see it obviously on the world stage. You could argue that what's wrong with the world today is that we got way too many brains stuck in the red zone. Right, they're caught up in fear, frustration, and heartache, or in traditional language, hatred in terms of the safety system, greed in terms of the um, satisfaction system, and you could say, um, you know, ill will or, heart, or uh, in terms of the um, connection system. Therefore, I think the opportunity for us all in an imperfect world is to repeatedly and deeply internalize the felt sense of core needs met so you can help your brain default to its resting state its responsive mode its green zone so that then increasingly you can engage the challenges of life but on the basis of a prior felt sense on the inside out that you've gradually earned as the essence of self-reliance, in terms of a basic feeling of peace, contentment, and love, you'll still deal with challenges. There still will be competition. People are still going to try to win football games, but there can be in the world altogether a fundamental transition uh, that I've never, that we've never seen before in human history. And I think the tipping point will be roughly a billion brains on green. If we can get roughly a billion human brains spending most minutes of most days in the green zone, I think we'll change the course of human history.
0: And how far along do you think we are in that?
1: (laughs) I think we're about a quarter of the way there, maybe halfway there. I think actually that, well, the objective basis for a green zone brain is all around us. I mean, in human history, there was never the basis in terms of the objective conditions like controlling pain or modern medicine or being able to actually feed everybody on the planet. But the objective conditions are now present to help people stay in the green zone for the very first time, roughly in the last generation or two, for the very first time in human history. And I don't think our brain knows what to do with it. So you see people, including in developed countries like our own continuing to chase more and more and more as if they've never gotten the message that you know you've got plenty already i mean you can only sleep in one bed at a time right you can only wear one pair of you know pants or one dress at a time or drive one car at a time do you really need so much more uh and also do you really need to be so afraid of other people um we're living in a kind of you know, well-intended delusion from Mother Nature that wants us to always be a little afraid, a little hungry, and a little lonely, even when actually uh, there's no basis for fear in the moment. Uh, we have everything we need, and we've already been a, been loved enough in this life. Um, so for me, one of the key break- take th- breakthroughs here is to wake up from Mother Nature's well-intended enchantments, to wake up from her well-intended lies, to realize that actually in this moment, the objective conditions in your life are perfectly adequate to live in the green zone and come from the green zone as you deal with the challenges in the world.
0: Rick, I know you've got another event coming up pretty quickly this evening, the freecast mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to see if you could tell our listeners about where to find that in case they want to continue on with you this evening, and also... Um, just anything else that you have coming up that you'd like them to know about, any other events or, or appearances, or um, if there's a website you'd like them to visit?
1: Oh, that's very kind of you. I'll be quick. Um, I am doing a spreecast shortly uh, called Truly Happy Holidays, and you can find out about it on my website, net. Truly Happy Holidays. Uh, and if you happen to miss this precast, you can still go back to my website and check out the archive version, although uh, this will be live, which is really pretty cool. And also, if you want to see any of the other resources that are freely offered uh, by me, just go to my website, rickhanson.net, and you can download and use in your work or for yourself um, the slide sets from workshops I've taught, videos I've done, uh, talks of various kinds, articles I've written, et cetera.
0: Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. And I have one final question. Sure. Um, Just if somebody's listening tonight and for some reason they, they can't study with you and they can't read the book and all they could ever hear was this interview, is there anything else that you would really want them to walk away with?
1: Oh, that's really beautiful. You know, the most important thing I would say is trust yourself that you have the ability to gradually change your brain for the better. They have a saying in Tibet, if you take care of the minutes, the years will take care of themselves. I think that's just a fantastic, profound saying. What's the most important minute of your life? It's the next one, minute after minute after minute. We can't do anything about the minutes in the past, and more than a few minutes in the future, we lose influence over what's happening there. But in this minute, the next minute, the most important minute of your life, you've got opportunities to actually take in at least a handful of times every day the good that's inside this minute, the most important minute of your life. You know, a long time ago, the Buddha had a beautiful saying. Uh, I'll quote it right here, maybe as a way to end this interview. He says, think not lightly of good, saying it will not come to me. Drop by drop is the water pot filled. Likewise, the wise one, gathering it little by little, fills oneself with good. So you and I and everyone uh, worldwide (laughs) gradually fill ourselves with good.
0: Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking with you, and I hope you have a a great time on this recast tonight, and uh, we'll keep watching your work.
1: Oh, very good. Thank you very much, Melissa.
0: Okay, thank you. You too. Good night.
1: Good night and bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Before we close, I'd like to let our listeners know that you can subscribe, donate, or purchase single issues of Teferit Journal at our website, www.teferitjournal.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the new Teferit Talk book. It's a collection of our best interviews from the first year of Teferit Talk radio and is available for purchase at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other bookstores, as well as at the website. I'd also like to thank my executive producer and Tiferet publisher, Donna Bear-Stein, producer and Tiferet associate editor, R.J. Jeffries, contributing editor and assistant producer, Udo Hintz, and Michelle Mangan for their work every month in helping the show to run smoothly. Our next interview will be December 11th from 7 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Krista Tippett. We hope you'll join us then, and in the meantime, we wish you peace, love, happiness, and fulfilling work. Until then, goodbye.